Well, I'm Michael Flake, one of the pastors here. Great to be together as a church family, whether you're cautious about Jesus, curious about Jesus, or committed to Jesus. There's room for you here. This is a safe place to learn, to grow, and to change. So long as you don't have it all together, you'll fit right in. Fun, fun, fun to be together as a church family online in the Y. How cool is this? So, as so you know, the goal today was to move the field into the Y. And now as we do it a couple weeks, we'll start to get our feet a little more under us. And even as the year goes on and the, the pandemic begins to uh, give way to the vaccine being more widely distributed, we'll start to make some changes. I imagine we'll start to set the chairs more up and around like we used to do before the pandemic. We'll probably find that old truss somewhere and... Uh, pull it back out. So we'll start to introduce some of the things. If you've been with us before the pandemic, you were more accustomed to, but that's going to take a little while to roll out. At this point, we're just trying to get our feet under us, and we're just trying to worship together online and in person, giving people those, those options. Fun to be with you this morning here in the Y and online. As Holly said, this year we're preaching through the big picture of the Bible, what we're calling the story with a capital S. From the beginning of time, God has been writing a great story in this world. He's calling each of us to come and find our place in it. The Bible teaches us who God is and who we are and how we are to relate to God. And yet, the Bible can also be big and intimidating. At times, it can be confusing, even shocking. You may have given up any hope. You could study the Bible or grow closer to God in that way. Last week, Pastor Gray uh, talked about the Bible is more like a steak than mashed potatoes. Do you remember this? Maybe one of the deepest insights of all Christian theology. The Bible is more like a steak than mashed potatoes. There are some things that we can consume and get all we need out of them just by swallowing, but then there are other things like steak that we fully enjoy by chewing a little bit. And the Bible is more like a steak than mashed potatoes. It's best enjoyed when you chew on it a little bit. So throughout our Sunday sermons in 2021, we're setting aside the whole year to take our church family through the big picture of the Bible, God's great story with a capital S that finds its completion in the redemptive work of Jesus. You and I and the people that we love are invited to come and find our completion in the redemptive work of Jesus. We also do have resources, as Holly pointed out, to help you take a next step growing closer to God by understanding His story better, finding your place in it. There's a reading plan that's online and comes out every week in the weekly happenings. There are videos in case you don't like reading or they could supplement the reading. And then there's the family plan in case you don't know big words, don't like big words, whatever the case might be. It uses the Jesus Storybook Bible, which I would commend to a person of any age but certainly to the littles. Today is our second week of the story. We're on the first chapter of the Bible. That's not good. Week two, chapter one. We're a little bit behind. We got a late start. Don't worry. We'll make up time on the interstate. We're taking our time through the first chapters of the Bible because like any good book, like any good movie, the beginning is where you really start to understand the characters involved and the problem that's going to need a redemptive solution. Most of the Bible is God's redemptive solution, but the earliest chapters are setting the scene. So today we start at chapter 1, God's creating the world. Holland's read some excerpts from Genesis 1 earlier. If you feel bad every time it seems like other people at church know how to find stuff in the Bible and you don't, have I got good news for you. 
Today, we are on the first chapter of the Bible. If you have never been to church a day in your life, you have a fighting chance of finding Genesis chapter 1. That's where we are. Genesis chapter 1. Listen as chapter 1 unfolds. You might even want to close your eyes and visualize this beautiful scene at the beginning of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. The Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good, and He separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness He called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the water above it, and it was so. God called the vault sky, and there was evening, and there was morning the second day. God said, let the water under the sea be gathered to one place, and let dry ground appear, and it was so. God called the dry ground land, the gathered waters He called seas. God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it according to their various kinds, and it was so. The land produced vegetation plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night. Let them serve as signs to mark sacred time, days, and years. Let them be lights in the vaults of the sky to give light to the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day, the lesser night to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the vault of the sky to give light to the earth, to govern the day and the night, to separate light from darkness. God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, let the water teem with living creatures. Let birds fly across the earth, across the vault of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living thing with which the water teems and that moves in it according to their kinds, every winged bird according to its kind. God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the waters and the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning. The fifth day. That gets us to where Hollins was reading earlier, that on the sixth day, God commanded the land to produce living creatures, and the, the land critters begin to inhabit the earth. And then God says, let us, an early allusion to the Trinity, let us make humanity in our image. And so God creates humanity in His own image, male and female created in His image. God sets humanity to be the stewards of all He has created to rule over and take care of the created world. God tells humanity to be fruitful and multiply, maybe the one commandment in the Bible we've done okay with. God looks at everything He has made and says, it was very good. That's chapter 1. With my remaining time, since I did read a lot of the chapter 1, I don't have all my time left, 
I do want to look at some major points that come out of the beautiful scene at the very beginning of the Bible. As God creates the world, creates with great care, creates beauty and order and complexity, and does so at the sound of His voice. So I want to start off by saying that faithful Christians understand Genesis 1 differently. When we bring up Genesis chapter 1, it often turns into a discussion of faith and science. And the truth is, I like talking about faith and science. I'm going to do so here in a minute. But I first want to take a quick, uh, say a quick word about interpreting Genesis chapter 1. There are three major ways faithful Christians have historically understood Genesis chapter 1. I'm going to explain them to you and let you think, uh, pick the one you think is most appropriate. It all comes down to what you do about the days, the six days of Genesis chapter 1. The first view is that God created the world in six 24-hour periods. I call this the 144-hour view because I believe 6 times 24 is 144. No one has yet corrected me on that. So in the 144-hour view, the days in Genesis chapter 1 are exactly what you and I think of as days. They're 24-hour periods. It's pretty self-explanatory. The second view is often called the day-age view. You can maybe figure this out. In this view, the six days of creation are viewed as eras of time. The Bible uh, does say that what seems like a thousand years to us seems like a day to God. So the question is, when we talk about the six days of creation, whose time frame are we using? Were they actually eras of time? The Hebrew word for day, which is yom, not to be confused with my one-year-old's favorite word, yum, yom can mean day, but it can also mean periods of time. In fact, it's used that way in Genesis chapter 2, verse 4. So it may well be that the days of Genesis are actually eras of time. That's a view some people have. The third view is called the framework view. And the framework folks really major on the parallelism of Genesis chapter 1, that on days 1, 2, and 3, God creates realms, and then He fills those realms correspondingly on days 4, 5, and 6. So that there's a parallelism in days 1, 2, and 3, 4, 5, and 6, and then 1, 4, 2, and 5, 3, and 6. The framework, folks, point is that the major idea behind Genesis chapter 1 is to communicate that God created the world with great order and intention, maybe even deeper order and intention than first meets the eye. At Lake Forest, we have folks who hold to all of those views or some version of them. We don't get in big fights about all this. Your exact interpretation of the days in Genesis chapter 1 is not an essential part of the Christian faith. We give you freedom to study it, to hold the view you think is correct. What is essential to the Christian faith is what all three of those views agree upon, which is God created the world full of beauty and order, and that all creation is important and deserves our care, and human beings have a special place in creation because we are created in God's image. So what the views agree on and what is more essential is that God created the world full of beauty and order, all of creation is important and deserves our care, and that human beings have a special place in creation because we are created in God's image. This gets us back to faith and science. Science is a good thing, and science, in fact, is built on some foundational truths. The foundational truths that human beings are rational 
and that the world around us has some sort of a foundational beauty and order. Science is built on the facts, in other words, that at some level we can understand the world around us, and at some level the world around us is understandable. And those are both truths of Genesis chapter 1. Science is built on, and the early scientists believe, in fact, many scientists today believe, the truth of Genesis chapter 1, that there is order and there is purpose in the created world, and that people as God's image bearers have brains that we can use to begin to understand the complexity of God's handiwork. I'm not sure faith and science were ever meant to be sworn enemies. I also don't think that science can or should try to offer a definitive explanation on everything. I don't think science should try to displace God as being at the center of all creation. The truth is it is possible to make an idol out of science, to worship science, to make science the infallible source of all truth, and that just doesn't turn out well. If you want a clear example of that, Wikipedia, the word eugenics. And you'll see the way science can go wrong when it tries to offer a definitive explanation on everything. But at its heart, science is a good and an important human endeavor. It has improved the lives of a lot of people, and it is built on the foundations of Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1 is chiefly about how God is the creator of all that is, both seen and unseen. God created everything good. Now, as we continue to go on in this year, we'll learn that, that it, didn't all, it didn't stay good forever, that the creation took the freedom God gave us and used it to veer from God's path. But initially, everything was good. Today, we can still enjoy and study the natural world. We can be amazed at the artistry of the Almighty God. We find beauty out in the furthest cosmos, and we find order down in the tiniest cells. We live in a world that we can soak in with wonder and amazement. We live in an art gallery. And yet, the crowning jewel of God's creation is not watching the sunset over the Grand Canyon, though I highly recommend it. Now, the cafeteria afterwards, not so much. Black beans, avoid those. Can't give a rousing endorsement to the cafeteria at the Grand Canyon. Sunset, on the other hand. But the crowning jewel of God's creation is the man who asks you for change at the exit ramp. The crowning jewel of God's creation is your slightly odd friend. The crowning jewel of God's creation is you. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 says, God created mankind in His own image. In the image of God, He created them. Male and female, He created them. Human beings are the image bearers of God. So what? Why is that so important? What's the big deal that humans are created in God's image? It's a big deal, and it's very crucial to the story with a capital S. Let me tell you three reasons why. Why is it important that human beings are created in God's image? Number one, number one, number, 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 number. still works at the why. Number one, it means that your value is knit into you. Your value is knit into you. Psalm 139 says, you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. 
Being created in God's image means that you don't have to earn your value. Your value is inherent. Your value is knit into the fabric of your being by God, the creator of everything good. And if God knit your value into you, then who can take your value from you? What event can take your value? What process can remove your value from you? There is no person, no thing, no event, no process that can take your value because it's part of what it means to be you. From the perspective of a Christian, creation in God's image is the basis of all ethical behavior. Every person you encounter, no matter their place in life, the decisions they've made, every person you encounter is created in God's image, just like you. You're not junk, they're not junk. You're not a lost cause. They're not a lost cause. We don't have the power to strip other people's value. We can only decide if we will recognize the value that God gave them. Perhaps you, like many of my friends, desire to live a moral life. You desire to pursue ethical action. You want to help people. You want to empower people. And in your quiet moments, you struggle with the question of, but why? Why not just look out for yourself? And maybe you can answer that for yourself. What about other people? Why should other people not just look out for themselves? The answer, I believe, is in chapter 1. Human beings are created in God's image. And so I think the Christian faith answers one of the great questions of our time, which is why should I want to help people? Why should I want to empower people? Why not just look out for myself? The answer is in chapter 1, creation in God's image. Our value is knit into us. That's number one. Number two, what does it mean to be created in God's image? It means that your life is meant to point people to God. Your life is meant to point people to God. In the earliest, uh, the days of the earliest books of the Bible, kings would put statues of themselves around their kingdoms. Well, technically, it wasn't the king lugging the statue around. They had people who had to go lug the statues around, but they'd put the, the statues of the king around the kingdom. And the point was to remind people of the king and that the king had authority in that specific area. The image of the king reminded people, pointed people to the king and the king's authority. As we study the Bible together, we're going to notice that the God who's revealed in the Bible never wanted people to make statues of him. He gets really upset when people try to make statues of him. And the reason for that is he's already put his image on the earth. He did it in chapter 1. He created His image bearers in chapter 1. You and I not only have our value knit into us, but at our best, we're those statues. We are the statues that remind people of the King and of the King's authority and power and goodness in our lives. Our lives communicate to people, this is God's world. Look at what God can do. We live our lives under God's loving command. People can experience God's love through how we love them. People can experience God's mercy because we show them mercy. This is part of what it means to live an abundant life. We were created to bear God's image. We were created to live lives that point people to God. We were made to live lives that communicate God's love in all its grace and all its truth, to live lives that remind people of the king and the king's authority. 
So created in God's image means you and I were meant to point people to God. We were meant to be those living statues that point people to God. Number three, number three, finally, finally, there's only three points today. Number three, because I read so much of that first chapter, number three. What does it mean to be created in God's image? It means that God has given you a deep longing for Him. Creation in God's image means God has given you a deep longing for Him. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 says that God has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. So God has given you an unshakable value. God has offered you purpose as His image bearer. God also has made you deeply hungry to connect with Him. You're like a person who's become desperate to discover your origins, to find where you came from. You won't be satisfied until that deepest part of you reconnects to the deepest part of your Creator. There was a pastor in the 300s. Actually, there were a lot of pastors in the 300s, but one of them was the African bishop Augustine. Augustine is often credited with uh, talking about the God-shaped hole inside of us. I know this because I listened to one of his recent podcasts. I tell you back, he is a tape in retrospect. 915 told me I should keep that joke, and I'm not sure I should have. He's from the 300s. He had tapes, not podcasts. Got it. Okay. I won't use it at the next service. Don't worry. But Augustine said we each have a hole in our lives that only God can fill, that nothing would fill that hole, although we would try. And we'd look to achievements, accomplishments, vices, relationships to try to fill this God-shaped void in our lives, and none of it would work. This is the eternity that God has placed in our hearts, that the depths of us long for God. We find ourselves restless until we find our rest in God. We find ourselves unsatisfied until we become satisfied by God. We are hardwired to long for God. Even when we don't proactively seek God, the deep longing is there. Just look at our lives. We're searching for something. The payoff of chapter 1 is this, that from the beginning, God has given you and given me the, the building blocks of abundant and everlasting life. God's given us the building blocks of abundant and everlasting life. He's given us value, purpose, and a connection with Him. We also have freedom in what we do with those things. God has given us, as created in His image, value and purpose as His image bearers, a deep longing to connect with Him. It's up to you and me what we'll do with those things. God created us in His image. So will you and I recognize the value in others, in ourselves, and live accordingly? Will we honor the creation God left us to care for? Will we devote ourselves to God? Will we we invite God and God alone to fill the God-shaped hole in our lives? Will we let other people experience God's goodness through us? Will we let ourselves be the closest thing to God and God's love that some people experience on this earth? From the beginning up until now and culminating in the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, God has shown us that He is for us. God wants the best for us. God so loves the world. And I pray you and I don't think of our stories just as ours alone, but ultimately as a part of God's greater story. God's story, the story with a capital S, begins at creation, creating a world full of beauty and order, 
charging humanity to take care of that creation, creating men and women in God's image. Now, in the very next chapter of the Bible, what we also learn is that humanity was created out of the dust. So we're created in God's image out of dust. And I kind of feel like we need to hold on to both of those. Because there are times when I need to remember the one and times I need to remember the other. Just get a big promotion, I'm created out of dust. Just lost my job, I'm created in God's image. Both are true. Both are important. We need to remember both. So God's story begins at creation. What about you? My question for you today is what about your story? The question is, who or what has most shaped you? most shaped your sense of identity, your sense of what matters most. And how and when did you start to sense your hunger for God? Who or what has most shaped you, your sense of identity, your sense of what matters most? And how and when did you start to sense your hunger for God? We are all born into this story that's been going on long before we got here, and we have to do the hard work of figuring out what's really going on. How can we find our place in it? Our hunger for God leads us. It leads us back to discover who we were made to be in the first place. It leads us to discover that God is doing something in this world, and God invites you and God invites me to join in with what He's been doing. God invites us into our mission, His mission in this world. And as we do that, what happens is that we become who we were made to be in the first place, which is God's image bearers. Our value knit into us, eternity set in our hearts, drawing us back to find our deepest satisfaction in God, and out of that relationship to live a life that points people to God. Now, you may feel you've fallen short on what it means to be God's image bearer. If you do, you understand where this story is going. We've all fallen short of being God's image bearers, but hope is not lost. There is redemptive work happening. God will do it, and you can help. Join me in prayer. Let's pray together. Let me give you a chance to pray, a chance to talk to God, to listen to God about whatever He's stirring up in your heart or in your mind. Just take a quiet moment for personal prayer. Lord, You are the Creator. We praise You for this world that You've created, its beauty, its wonder, its complexity. Lord, we thank You that You've created us in Your image. So, Lord, I pray as we leave this time that we will be able again to receive this world as a gift, to receive our very lives as a gift. 
that we live in an art gallery, that we are works of art. And redemptive work is happening in our midst. Lord, we are created to bear your image, and how often we fall short of that. How often I do things of which I would say, well, that doesn't teach anybody about God and what God is like. And yet, Lord, your arms remain open wide to us. And so I pray that in these songs and hours to come, the days to come, that we will join that early pastor, Augustine, who said that his heart, his soul was restless until he found his rest in God. I pray that we too would find our rest in you, that we would quit searching for a life on our own and instead find it in a living and transformative relationship with you. Help us, Lord, to become the people you made us to be in the first place. And may we pursue that not on our own, but hand in hand with you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, right before we worship together again, let me just remind you here in the Y, you can give prayer requests. We'd love to pray for you. Or offering in the wicker basket as you head out online, let us pray for you. Send an email to davidsonprayer at lakeforest.org to give. You can go to lakeforest.org give. We love you guys. Let's worship together.